you're here this morning. We are going to do some good old-fashioned Christmas carols together today. So would you stand and sing with us?
All right. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to Lakeview Community Church on this Christmas Eve. Very glad that you guys are here with us, and uh, just want to invite you to pray with us as we continue in worship. Lord, thank you for this good morning. Uh, Lord, for this day that you've given to us, for a moment to celebrate. Uh, Lord, to stop from all the busyness, Lord, and to reflect on the coming of Christ our Lord and all that that means for us. So, Lord, we pray that you would fill this day, uh, Lord, with with yourself, with your Holy Spirit, with all that you have in mind for, 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 for us this morning. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, please uh, take a seat. All right, and we are dismissing our children now for uh, children's class. So uh, if you are, fall into that category, feel free to make your way around. All right, and a big thank you to our uh, Christmas choir for uh, leading us in, in worship this morning. You guys have uh, done a fantastic job. Love hearing those voices, and I think they have something special for us planned at the, uh, at the close of our service this morning. So if you're here this morning as a visitor or a guest, uh, so glad you're with us today. I hope you feel welcomed and at home in your time with us. You should have got a bulletin on your way in, and uh, there's some more info about things that are going on um, in the days ahead and what's coming up in the new year and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, I hope that you just enjoy uh, your, your time with us this morning. So we're going to uh, move into a time of looking at God's Word together. So before we do that, let's just pray together again. So Lord, we thank you for the opportunity once again, Lord, on this Christmas Eve, uh, Lord, to, uh, to gather together. Uh, Lord, to focus on you, to rejoice in Jesus, our King. And uh, Lord, all that it means that uh, you came into our world. Uh, Lord, we pray now as we open up your word, uh, Lord, that you would open up our hearts. Lord, that you would show us uh, what you have in mind for us, Lord, and that you would change us from the inside out, that our lives might reflect more of the likeness of the one that we sing about this morning. Lord, Jesus, our Savior and Lord, it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, well, uh, on the first page of the New Testament, uh, it opens up with a very resounding statement about the identity of Jesus, the one that we're uh, talking about and celebrating on Christmas morning. I want to read um, on the first line of, Gospels, of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 1, verse 1. It says this, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And uh, Matthew, as he's writing this account, he wouldn't want to leave us wondering for even a single moment about who it is, who this Jesus is that he's writing about. And so it starts out with this crystal clear statement from the very start that Jesus is the Christ. And, and if you didn't know, Christ is not Jesus's last name. 
Um, some people actually think that. It's his identity. It's the title uh, that belongs to him. In, in Greek, the word is Christos. And in fact, if your name is Chris or Christine, if you know anyone with the name of Chris or Christine, um, the whole reason those names are names that people pick and have come into popularity, it's because, it's because of, of, of the birth that we celebrate on Christmas. Christmas. And, and, and also in Greek, I don't know if you knew this, but in Greek, uh, there's a letter um, that is used for the English words CH, the ch sound. And it's, it kind of looks like an X with a swirl on it. And so here's the fun fact for you that you may or may not know. Uh, when you see someone with a poster that says Xmas, right, uh, that may not mean that there's some kind of conspiracy to take Christ out of Christmas, okay? It could just be shorthand, and uh, that's the X. It's right there. That's what it looks like. So there, now you know if you didn't know, and you can save your outrage for some uh, better cause. Um, <laughs> But that title, Christ, it identifies Jesus in a very particular way as the anointed one of God. And he's the Messiah that the Old Testament promised and the one that the prophets had foretold would come. This Christ is the Savior, the one sent by God to rescue his people. And this would be the one that every first century Jew were anxiously awaiting to come and to deliver them out from the oppression of the Roman rule and the Roman Empire. And, and so Matthew, as he's writing this account, he wastes no time attaching that title to Jesus. It's him. He's the one. And then after that first verse, this long genealogical list follows. If you've been with us for a few weeks, we've been looking through this list. It's one of those lists of names that most of the time you come to this part of the Bible and you're like, flip, skip right past that. Just a boring list of names, this family tree, basically. And, uh, and yet what that is, that I want to kind of lay out this morning, is that that was, that, that was Matthew's way of confirming that Jesus actually qualifies to have that title of Christ applied to him. Because the reality is that the Christ that the promise that the prophets had prophesied about, it couldn't be just anyone. The Old Testament specified that the Messiah would come from the ancestral line of David and of Abraham. So you see it in verses like Psalm 88, verse 3, God promised, I have made a covenant with my chosen one, that's the Messiah, I have sworn to David my servant, your seed I will establish forever and build your throne for all generations. And then even as far back as Genesis in chapter 22, verse 18, God promised Abraham that by your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. So you see, that's, that's what this genealogical list, this family tree, this long list of names is all about. It's, it's, it's the first of many assurances that that Jesus' fingerprint, it fits. It fits, it fits the, the fingerprint that the scriptures foretold about. And it showcases that God's great plan of redemption has been unfolding through the centuries. That history isn't just 
a series of happenstance and random occurrences, history truly is his story. There's an intentionality about it. It's all directed to that defining moment when unto us a child was born, unto us a son was given. The Savior would be a son. That was also in the Old Testament. Born from the seed of a woman, born to crush the head of the serpent, born to rescue and redeem broken people living in a broken world and ultimately make it all right again. All right, so this genealogy, this uh, family tree, it's just exhibit number one. God's redeeming purposes. They, they were, they are, and they forever will continue to be to play out according to plan. But not according to our plan. Uh, we've, we've seen that so many times over the past few weeks. If you've been in, we've been looking at some of these stories in the family tree, and, and there's a whole lot of fractured storylines. Uh, all kinds of things that you would just say, I would never have come up with that kind of story Uh, But the reality is that God's redemption plan is not unfolding according to our expectations. It's unfolding according to his. And and so we don't want to make the mistake of assuming that our plans are the same as God's plans. Don't expect that an all-knowing, all-powerful God without beginning and without ends, is of course going to operate the exact same way that a finite person like you or me would. Did you ever, did you ever have that expectation on God? Like, well, this is what I would have done if I were God. And so it's quite obvious, this is what God ought to do. Right? That's it's just not how it works. And Isaiah 55, it says, it says this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I think what that is, if you could sum it up, that's God's way of saying that I am so far above and beyond anything that you are able to comprehend. And the truth is, you're just never going to be able to figure me out on my own. You just can't. And what that means is you're going to have to trust me. They did then, we do now. And this this is really a big part of, this is why We treasure this book. We build our lives around scripture because the only way to comprehend what an almighty, infinite God is like is if he were to reveal himself to us. That's it. And that's that's what this Bible is. It's, It's revelation. And so moving forward in your walk with God on this journey of faith, we are often gonna find ourselves adjusting. Adjusting our preference with God's plans. What I think for what God says. Another word you could use for that adjustment is it's really surrender. Surrender. And, and that's what the walk of faith is all about. And nowhere is that kind of response modeled more clearly than in the journey of faith that led 
to the Savior's birth. The final name on the family tree that we've been looking at, the the story of how Jesus Christ was born. And so listen to it as I read it, how how Matthew describes it in chapter 1 of uh, of Matthew. It says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. All right, so the story it starts out with a very ordinary young couple, Mary and Joseph, for other names, and they're in the final stages of planning their marriage, and, and there's nothing special about them, right? I mean, they're special to us today. We think very highly of Mary and of Joseph, but back then, they're presented here in the most ordinary way possible. Just a couple of random kids getting ready to build their lives together. And it says they're, they're betrothed, and we don't really, we're not really familiar with that. Uh, that's an ancient part of the marriage process. And a betrothal, it went beyond an engagement. It, it actually meant legally, the husband and wife, they were, they were married. But before joining together, there was this betrothal period. It was like a, a testing time, a proving time to, to show that the couple were pure to each other, that they were, they were faithful to each other. And, and right in the middle of that, Joseph is faced with this terrible reality that his betrothed has betrayed him. At least that's how it seems to him. It seems that Mary isn't the woman that he thought she was. And And now he's faced with making the most difficult decision of his life. He's got to divorce her. He's got to end this. And of course, we know, uh, as we're reading this, we know what Joseph did in at that time. That there's more to the story than what he's aware of. And that's kind of the point, right? God's ways are in our ways. And God, at this point, hadn't filled Joseph in on all of the details, Sometimes he does that. And it's during times like that when we don't have the whole story, when we're working with incomplete information, that's the point at which faith kicks into high gear. Because the reality is for you and for me, there is always more to the story than what's registering on our radar screens. Because God's ways aren't our ways. Don't forget that. Now the day will come when God fills in all the blanks and everything is going to make sense, it's all going to get laid out. But in the here and the now, the information that we have to work with is almost always incomplete. It's less than we'd like and it, and it takes faith to trust God even when we don't have the whole story. And faith chooses to trust God even when things aren't working out, even when everything looks like a mess. And that's what Joseph's life looked at at this point. And you probably know already that, that God will bring us to places like that from time to time. That's where Joseph found himself, and maybe that's where you're at right now. This is when faith and trust matters most. And so let's see how Joseph responds. He, he's hurt with the reality of what's going on, but he doesn't respond in hurt. It says, Joseph was a righteous man 
And it doesn't really say anything. There's nothing actually even recorded, a single word of Joseph, but we, we see that by what he does. So even though he's been wronged, right, as far as he knows, he still does the right thing. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't subject Mary to some kind of public disgrace, which wouldn't have been out of the question in those days. He doesn't post about it and put her down all over social media, right? He just quietly resolves to do what he has to do and divorce her. And it's right there as he's settling on making that hard, right decision that the story moves forward to the next page. You see, this is how the journey of faith works. One tiny step of trust at, the time, at a time. There is before us one decision to make to do the right thing, even when you've been, respond, when you've been wrong to respond in the right way. And it's as Joseph does that, that this angel appears. And this angel has a message from God and he starts connecting the dots between this mess that Joseph is in and God's master plan. Here's what it says. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save people, his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So the first part of that message, the angel tells Joseph, do not fear. I, I read this week that the most read bookmarked and shared verse of the Bible for the last three years running is Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. That's, that's a message that resonates with people today. There's a lot of fear. And, and this, is, this is the message that's all over the Bible. Do not fear, for I am with you. And most specifically, this is the message of Christmas right? Jesus is coming. God is with us. Do not fear. That's what Joseph needed to hear to keep going on that journey of faith. And maybe you need to hear that this morning too. Do not fear. God is here right in the middle of whatever your life looks like, no matter how messed up it may appear. God has a plan. God has a purpose. It's been unfolding for generations, And in Joseph's case, it's about to culminate. And this angel is informing him that he and Mary, these two kids, obscure, they're wrapped up right in the middle of it. Now, now I don't know about you. um, I've never had an angel visit me. I've never had an angel come and fill in the blanks and give me all of the incomplete information and complete it and all the missing details, lay them all out. At least that I'm aware of, maybe and I just don't know it. But what you have and what I have is access to the same scriptures that this angel quoted and pointed Joseph to in his time of need. See, the angel's message, it's, it's saturated in scripture. And for you and for me, when, when we're confused, when we're frightened, when we need direction, we need clarity, 
God's word is the place to go. That's the place where fear turns into faith, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and that's what the angel gives Joseph. He quotes a passage from Isaiah. He explains that what's happening to your fiance, Mary, it's, it's actually God fulfilling a promise. They made it ages ago. And the prophet spoke about a child of destiny that would be born, the Christ, the Messiah. And the birth of this son is going to signal the, the coming, the invasion of the kingdom of God onto the earth. And this was spoken 800 years prior to Jesus' birth. When Isaiah said, here's how you're going to know how to identify which child it is. It's going to be born of a virgin. Spelled out 800 years previously, fulfilled in Jesus' birth. See, this child would be conceived in an altogether unprecedented way because he would go on to live an altogether unprecedented life. No one else in the course of human history would ever be conceived the way Jesus was by the Holy Spirit. That's because no other life in the course of human history would ever be lived like the life that Jesus lived. He is God with skin on. Emmanuel is how he describes it. That's God with us. See, God is breaking into your world. This is what the angel's telling Joseph. And he's saying, Joseph, you, you have a part to play in it. I'm wrapping you up in this. It's, your part, he says, is to fulfill that role of being a human father to my son, Jesus. And maybe you notice that the angel addresses Joseph as Joseph, son of David. And that goes again back to that family tree, that genealogy list, right? Another way of connecting the dots because Joseph was a descendant of David and that means the prophecy is becoming fulfilled. The last thing the angel informs Joseph about is that this child's name, it's already been picked out. He says, you're to give him the name Jesus. Jesus literally translates, the Lord saves. He says, here's the reason. He says, this child will save his people from their sins. In other words, the name is custom designed to match the mission. This child is the savior. The one everyone has been waiting for. And you can just imagine the crowds of Israel hearing this news and like the response of just being this roar of applause, high fives all around. He's finally here, the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, the Savior. But wait, not so fast. There's this one detail about this message. It said God's Messiah was coming to save his people from what? From their sins not from Rome. It's another example that God's ways are not our ways. He will save his people from their sin. And the Savior wasn't coming to save us from them. He was coming to save us from us. And you can just almost picture Joseph saying, hang on a minute, angel. I think you got your message mixed up just a little bit. Didn't you mean to say, name him Jesus? Because he will save his people from the Roman oppressors, from, from Herod, from Caesar, from all those bad guys that we need to get free from. He's going to rise up 
He's going to restore Israel to the good old glory days. That's the Messiah that we're waiting for. Isn't that what you meant to say, angel? The answer is no. God's ways are not our ways. God didn't send the kind of Christ that we wanted. He sent us the Christ we need. See, we want a Savior to save us from them. The Russians, Hamas, Hollywood, the fundamentalists, the liberals. The list never ends. And we, we think this is what we need to be saved from. And it's always them. It's always out there. But this Savior came to deliver me from me, from my own sin. That means if you want to find the heart of the problem, look no farther than the man in the mirror. The ultimate need in every one of our lives that we need to be rescued from is sin. And that's what this child entered into this world to accomplish to save us from our sins. A few years back in Chile, maybe you remember the story, 33 mine workers got trapped in this mine shaft, 2,300 feet below the surface of the earth, and it took 68 days before they were brought up to the surface and saved. And, and, And maybe you remember, like, it was on the news every day, just the update, the reports. I think they actually made a movie about it. But the one undeniable reality that everyone was operating with throughout those 69 days was that there was no way those 33 mine workers were getting out on their own. There was no digging themselves out. Didn't matter how much they wanted it. Didn't matter how much they tried. They needed to be saved. There was a need in their lives that they were completely unable to meet on their own. And they were saved. They were rescued, right? By a crew of workers who literally lifted them up and out. That's a snapshot of how stuck you and I are when it comes to dealing with sin. Sin is choosing to go our own way instead of God's way. It's doing my thing instead of God's thing. It's saying, no thanks, God, I've got my plans. I appreciate it, but I'm all set. And saying that to the God who created us, who designed us to do life with him. And that that response separates us from God. It isolates us from each other. And it is the unresolvable issue for every person on this planet. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves from our sin. It doesn't matter how, how good you are, how, how much you do, how many times you go to church, how many people you help, we need to be rescued. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's about the Savior who came to do for us what none of us could do for ourselves. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that none of us could ever live. And he went to the cross and he died a perfect death in our place. And on that cross, he took all our sin, all our rebellion, all our independence, all our brokenness, and everything that separates us from a holy and loving God, and he settled the sin issue. In fact, the the last words he spoke before he breathed his last was, it is finished, or I did it, is the literal translation. 
Jesus did what he set out to accomplish. He conquered sin. He resolved the issue. And three days later, he rose from the grave to prove it to the world. And by trusting him and receiving what he's done for us, we're saved from our sin. The sin issue is settled forever. So I want to ask you this morning, do you have that confidence? If you don't, I hope before you leave this place this morning, you will, and you'll receive it. Because that's why he came. That's the whole reason he was born. And Joseph is getting this all in advance, this incredible message. The dots are starting to connect, and, and he responds. He replies with this very simple and very genuine and authentic, just response of faith. Here's, here's what he says. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, you know, at this point, the only thing Joseph has to work with is the message. It's this message of good news, of great joy that's for all people, but none of what he was told had actually happened at this point. See, that's the point at which Joseph chose to trust. And it says he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. That's his response. Trust will always find expression and work its way out in our lives through simple obedience. Faith follows. It aligns life around what God says and how he's leading. And you see, that's how the story continues. That's what flips the story to the next page forward. It's how it happened for Joseph, and still today, it's how it happens for us. We hear, we believe, and we respond in obedience. You see, Joseph, at this point of the story, is a whole lot like us. The way he trusted in Jesus is a lot like we trust in Jesus. It's a walk of faith. And we are still waiting for faith to be sight. And we have this message, this, this gospel, this, this infinite God that we aren't ever going to be able to fathom and make sense of on our own. He has made himself known. And he did so in the form of Jesus, this child, this baby that was born. So if you want to know what God is like, Look at Jesus. He is the visible image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature, the book of Hebrews tells us, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power, and he's good. He's our savior, and he can be trusted. So let me close with a poem you may have heard before. Um, It's by uh, James Allen Francis. It's called One Solitary Life. It's about Jesus. It says, he was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in still another village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher, never wrote a book, never held an office, never had a family or owned a house. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things one usually associates with greatness. He had no credentials but himself, 
And he was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. He was turned over to his enemies and he went through a mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. 20 centuries have come and gone, and today, he is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned, put together have not affected the life of man on earth as much as that one solitary life. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you, uh, Lord, for giving us glimpses into yourself, uh, Lord, um, and showing us, Lord, that we can trust you. Uh, Lord, we thank you that Christmas is the time when we can let go of fear and grab hold of faith because you are with us. Lord, I pray that that message grabs hold of all of our hearts this morning. And Lord, that it would stay with us uh, today throughout the course of the days ahead. And uh, Lord, that it would change our lives because that's why you came. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, this is usually the time when we'd ask you to stand and sing with us, but these talented people who are getting arranged up here have prepared a special song for you this morning, so we hope you enjoy it. Uh, It's an arrangement by the band called Found Wandering. So, Merry Christmas.
Jesus.